Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. You're not a cop, are you? WKRP in Cincinnati. Hey, fellow babies, it's Alan. And Donna. Happy 4th of July to America. Everybody else, please pardon the noise. We're recording this on the 4th with some big news about our upcoming summer shows. Next week, don't miss changes with stories and commentary from special guest star Tom Dreesen. Tom was Tim Reed's comedy duo partner in the early 1970s. He has some great info about Tim and the show. We've also tracked down Bunny. Stacy Heather Tolkien, who played Bunny Tarlick on the Real Families and Fish Story episodes, has scheduled an interview with us for this week. We don't want to jinx anything, so we'll have details about Bunny after the interview. Getting in touch with Stacy did get us thinking about the episode Real Families. It's a great family episode and there's even a cookout scene. We thought it would be the perfect 4th of July rerun. So grab a cold one, kick back in the lawn chair, and enjoy this classic WKRP cast rerun of Real Families. Then, starting next week, we've got your summertime covered. Don't miss an all-new Changes with Tom Dreesen kicking off a run of new episodes through Labor Day. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another episode of the WKRP cast. This week, we're getting real. What's our episode, Donna? We're talking about real families. The air date was November 15th, 1980, written by P.J. Tarakvi as Peter Tarakvi, story editors Lisa Levin, story consultant Steve Marshall and Dan Gunselman, directed by Rod Daniel. The reality TV show Real Families gets a letter from Average Joe, Herb Tarlick in Cincinnati, Ohio. Real Families decides to profile the Tarlicks. The early interviews with family and friends, they seem too rehearsed. When the producers of the show realize they're being scammed, they decide to dig deep and expose the real Tarlick family. This episode of WKRP was a huge departure from the traditional three-camera sitcom format. P.J. Tarakvi had the initial idea and wrote the script. She said this one was a gift from Hugh because Wilson let her run with the idea. At the time, several reality-based TV shows were getting some big ratings. This has the look of those shows, but Tarakfi says she had a different target in mind when she wrote Real Families. She was disgusted with 60 Minutes. PJ said 60 Minutes wasn't real news because they were telling their stories through creative editing. She thought, sure, anybody could be made to look bad if you pointed a camera into their lives and started to poke around. 
Also, what you eventually found could be manipulated to tell any story with the right editing. Now, Frank Bonner said this was his favorite episode of the series, even if it was the one nobody saw. He said his mother in Arkansas told him she was questioned by a neighbor the next day. What was your son doing on TV last night? Taking a video camera out in the backyard and taking pictures of his family? They didn't get it. Bonner says he also loved this one because so much of the dialogue was improvised. He said PJ worked with him off and on for a couple of weeks before they shot. She would explain the situation like, Okay, so the camera crew showed up a day early and you're still in bed. How do you react? PJ would give Frank some of her ideas, but Herb and Lucille's reactions were real and in the moment. Like any great piece of art, this one's controversial. You either love it or you hate it. I'm a big Office fan, so I do love the cringy, uncomfortable, real feel of this episode. There's no laugh track and some long, uncomfortable pauses. This is really a precursor to the Office style of you-are-there comedy documentary storytelling. I laughed all the way through it. TV critic and McLean's columnist Jamie Weinman says it's his favorite episode of the series. A critic for The Village Voice said this episode of WKRP restored his faith in television. Tarakfi said this was the pinnacle of her writing career. She said she should have just stopped writing half-hour TV after Real Families because she knew it wouldn't get any better than this. I happen to be on the other side of the fence on this one. I really didn't enjoy it all that much. I felt like it was draggy and, you know, a little forced. I just was not a fan. So whether you love it or you hate it, it's time to strap in and turn on Real Families. We fade up in the studio of the reality TV show Real Families. An in-studio audience is visible in the shadows, and real-life TV host Peter Marshall is on stage in the left-hand chair. It looks like we've tuned in the wrong show. This cold open goes on for two minutes. It was so well done, it created a huge problem for the episode. Reality TV shows with this look were very popular. One of the biggest shows, Real People, was a huge hit at the time. This looks so much like the open of a different show that many viewers tuned out before realizing they were actually watching WKRP. Since WKRP moved around a lot, not being in the time slot made sense. After all, this was only their third week on Saturday nights. Some viewers later said they didn't realize what was happening even after seeing the picture of the Tarlick family. Just how good was this cold open? Peter Marshall's mother called him the next day and told him he probably shouldn't continue with this new reality series he's hosting. She didn't like the way they were delving into the darker side of human life. She also didn't think the production values were very good. I agree with her there. <laughs> we hear a voiceover introducing the new show. From Hollywood, California, look out. It's time for the new show all Americans talking about Real Family. And now, here's your Real Family host and hostess, Bill Berry and Elaine Parker. That announcer, the one on the Shout Factory disc, is a recut. The original announcer for the network airing was the incredible Johnny Olson of Price is Right fame. His intro had a bit more pizzazz. Give a listen. Hollywood, California, look out. Folks, it's time for the new show all America's talking about Real Family. And now, here's your Real Family's host and hostess, Bill Terry and Elaine Parker. Hello, everybody. 
The Johnny Olsen intro was only heard on the network airing. It was replaced for all syndicated versions of the episode and did not get restored on the Shout Factory edition. Why no Johnny Olsen? According to columnist and noted WKRP researcher Jamie Weinman, it was because they couldn't license the music behind Johnny's voice. To replace the music, they had to recut the voiceover with a generic announcer. Such a shame. As we mentioned, Peter Marshall is in the left-hand chair. His character name for the episode is Phil Terry, but he's basically playing a version of the Peter Marshall we all knew and loved on Hollywood Squares. Peter Marshall is a tall drink of water. He's 6'2". He was born in March of 1926 in Huntington, West Virginia. His birth name was the not-very-TV-friendly Ralph Pierre Lecoq. That's L-A-C-O-C-K. If that name rings a bell, it might be because of Marshall's son, Pete Lecoq. He played professional baseball for both the Chicago Cubs and the Kansas City Royals in the 1970s. Marshall was born into a singing and performing family. He was singing professionally by age 12 with big bands. He's worked as a comedian, singer, and actor. His filmography lists 47 parts as an actor, where he was playing someone else. It also has 111 listings for Peter Marshall as himself. Marshall seems to have been genetically engineered as a game show host. Between the daytime and syndicated versions of Hollywood Squares, he hosted nearly 2,000 episodes. Marshall is currently 95 and living in Huntington, West Virginia. He had quite a scare when he contracted COVID in January of 2021. He was discharged from the hospital in February into a hospice situation. A new doctor and 24-hour nursing care have helped him to survive the disease. In the right chair is the lovely Daphne Maxwell. Yes, soon to be Maxwell Reed. This is the episode where Daphne first met future husband Tim Venus Flytrap Reed. Daphne is a frequent flyer on WKRP. She will return in a fourth season episode called Circumstantial Evidence. Daphne was born in New York in 1948. Her early career was as a model. She's the first African-American woman to ever be featured on the cover of Glamour. A graduate of Northwestern University, she is also the first African-American woman to ever be named Northwestern Homecoming Queen. Daphne has 48 acting credits on her IMDb profile, but those 48 represent hundreds of episodes of TV. She was the third season replacement as Vivian Banks on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She would go on to do 74 episodes. She was on 22 episodes of Frank's Place with hubby Tim Reed, 16 episodes of Simon & Simon, 13 episodes of Snoops, and many more. Daphne and Tim have been married since 1982. She's still working and currently has a project in post-production. Phil says Real Families is the show that asks the question... Hey, America! Who are you, really? Co-host Elaine says we're going all the way to Cincinnati, Ohio to spend an entire week with the family on the screen. We zoom in on a picture of the Tarlick family standing in their front yard. Herb is in a coat almost worthy of a fashion alert, but not quite. Lucille has a hand hooked in the crook of his elbow. Standing in front of them... That's Bunny, who's eight, and Herb the third, who's seven. Phil says Herb works for a very popular local radio station. As for Lucille, well... Lucille says she's just your average housewife. Elaine tells us the Tarlick's letter was chosen from the thousands the show gets every week. She begins to read. It sounds like Herb wrote it with a thesaurus on his knee. Dear Real Families, 
I'm edified by your broadcast presentation and the direction of same on the entire field of television. At my abode, Real Families is a must for the entire family. The parade of $10 words continues. Herb writes that his only complaint with the show is its lack of real people. Herb refers to himself as a real hardworking, clean living Joe like myself. He invites the show to come to Cincinnati to meet the Tarlicks. A clean living Joe. <laughs> so Phil makes it sound like we might get hard hitting and investigative. I mean, who are these Tarlicks anyway, huh? Elaine says we're about to find out as only an on the spot real family's camera crew can. That's the cold open. We'll let Phil and Elaine take us into our theme. So don't you dare touch that dial because we'll be right back with another top rated great show on Real Family. <laughs> WKRP in Cincinnati. We return to the Real Families studio. The picture of the Tarlick family is still on the monitor. We can already tell this is going to be a very different episode for WKRP. The whole thing is shot on location with no studio audience other than the audience watching the Real Families in studio scenes. There is no laugh track. Everything is shot handheld in a documentary style with a wide-angled lens. For scenes shot in the station, they installed fourth walls to make the rooms shootable from any direction. Peter Marshall, or sorry, Phil Terry, updates us on a dentist from Miami, Florida, whose family had been on last week's show. Real family seems to get in your business, according to Phil. While in his home, our cameras discovered several vials. Of Demerol. The good doctor now has to appear in court for possession of a controlled substance. The audience groans, but Phil says... Look, it's unfortunate, but it's real. We're wondering if Herb knows what he's doing letting these guys into his house. I don't think Mm-mm. so. The camera zooms in on the monitor. We see a still shot of the home of Herb and Lucille Tarlick. The still dissolves to moving video. The camera passes by a white Cordoba in the driveway. Up the walk, past a bike with a basket and handlebar tassels to the front door. It sounds like real families plays dirty when it comes to getting the real story. Are they trying to hide anything? And how does a show like Real Families find out? One way, Elaine, is by telling the Tarlicks our camera crew would show up on Monday morning and instead we showed up bright and early Sunday morning. Oh, came a day early. We transitioned to point of view video at the Tarlick house. The host seemed to have the ability to talk to Ohio while sitting in Hollywood. As the camera crew approaches the front door, we can see a 50-50 house number. The location for this shoot was 5050 Biloxi Avenue in Toluca Lake. They're about three and a half miles from the Radford Studios. We hear knocking. When the door opens, the little girl we saw in the picture is standing there in a nightgown. Hi, you must be Bunny. Are your parents home? Bunny's response <laughs> is to run through the house shouting. <laughs> She runs down the hall into a bedroom. The camera follows. We are in the Tarlick house. Herb and Lucille's room is at the end of the hall. Bunny jumps up on the bed, still yelling. Bunny, the television people are here! Herb and Lucille are fast asleep. Lucille is the first to stir. Oh my God, my God, Herb! Herb, they're here! Now the house being used as the Tarlick's home is still there. Michael Hernandez, the accountant of Rock, said it's blacked out by Google Maps, but he did find an entry for it on Realtor.com. It's a two-bedroom, one-bath ranch, 1,200 square feet. 
located in North Hollywood. It's not currently on the market, but Zillow lists this house in 2021 at just over $1.1 million. Whoa! Based on backyard pictures, those scenes might have been shot at another location. Lucille realizes in horror what's happening. She has curlers in her hair and is sleeping in a nightgown. Well, at least she's got a nightgown. Yeah, she's got a nightgown on. Herb has his head jammed between two pillows. Lucille tries to wake him. Bunny keeps jumping on the bed, yelling, they're here. Lucille tries to quiet her down. Now, before we go any further, a quick shout out to Edie McClurg, who is returning for an amazing guest appearance as Herbert R.'s long-suffering wife, Lucille. <laughs> we first met Edie in Goodbye Johnny. She was Herb's plus one to Johnny's farewell dinner. Is the guest of honor leaving before he has his dessert? <laughs> he was back just two episodes later for Never Leave Me, Lucille, and stole the show. Sometimes. Rex takes off his shirt while he's firing up his kiln. <laughs> this time out, she has a huge guest part, practically co-starring with Frank Bonner. Sadly, this will be the last time we see Edie in the series. Shut up, darling. Shut up. <laughs> Herb finally rouses and decides yelling, shut up at Bunny, might not be the best introduction to the family. Don't, don't say shut up, here. Herb tries to reason with the camera crew. He says it's Sunday, not Monday, and asks if they can turn off the camera for a minute. They don't. Herb, Elaine Parker speaking. Is that a beer can on the night table? Herb (laughs) says he doesn't know what it is as he sweeps it onto the floor. The resulting clank is is definitely a beer can. (laughs) Phil and Elaine are relentless. Sunday morning, what do the Tarlacks do on an average Sunday morning? Okay, now, I don't know if this is intentional, but Peter Marshall never pronounces Tarlick correctly. Right, Tarlack. Tarlack. It's slightly off every time he says it. If it's intentional, it's brilliant because it points up how disconnected these Hollywood people really are from the people on their show. They don't care about this real family. They're just looking for ratings. Herb is still trying to answer the average Sunday morning question. He says they get dressed, but you'll have to excuse them before they do. Then they have breakfast. It doesn't seem like enough. Lucille jumps in with what she thinks they want to hear. Oh, we go to church. What? We go to church. Right, right. We go to church. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Bunny's not buying it. We're going to church. Going to church. Church. Bunny has no clue what they mean, but she heads off to get Herb the Third. Meanwhile, Herb and Lucille are sitting in bed, just repeating every Sunday, looking stunned. Now we cut to the front door of the Tarlick abode, where the family is leaving for uh, church. Yeah, we'll say church. Sure. <laughs> Bunny is in a pink dress with a white sweater. Herb the Third is in a three-piece suit. Lucille is in a sheer multicolored dress, possibly a bit too sheer for church. Herb is wearing a suit we've seen before, but it's a good one. This is the red and white big checked pattern with matching pants. And there's something about seeing that one out in the world that makes it even more striking. Him running out into the front yard, that really hits you. It definitely pops out. And can we talk, Cordoba? As Herb (laughs) is hustling the gang into the car, let's pause for a moment to appreciate Mr. Tarlick's ride. We know Herb has always lusted after the fine Corinthian leather of the Chrysler Cordoba. He mentioned it at length after the good ratings book in the episode, Baby, If You've Ever Wondered. Oh, yeah. We're definitely talking Cordoba. Cordoba for me. 
<laughs> and Herb's dad, he told Burt Parks about his new ride. Reclining bucket seats, fine print in leather. Don't you sweet talk me, boy? He didn't say Cordoba, but he did say Corinthian leather, so we know he must have gotten his dream car. Here it is. Herb is driving the brand-new 1980 Chrysler Cordoba. It was newly redesigned for 1980. You can tell by the sloped Landau roof and even more luxury options. Herb has gone all out with the full white sidewall tires and the chromed spoked wheel covers, both were extras on the 1980 Cordoba. Lucille is babbling on about the camera crew letting themselves into the house and getting some cake and coffee. She says they'll be back in about an hour. Herb is hustling everyone into the car. Elaine notices little Herb is carrying something with him. Isn't that a doll little Herb is carrying? <laughs> Herb looks confused at the question. A doll? Her breeches in the back window grabs the doll from little Herb's hands. He's mumbling about him kidding as he runs around the car. He hands the doll in to Bunny. Here you go, Bunny. Here's your doll. We can hear her say that it's not hers from inside the car. <laughs> yes, it is your doll, honey. He fires up the Cordoba as fast as he can to get out of there. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Oh, we're going to pray. I like that. We're, we're going, going to pray. pray. <laughs> So the camera crew jumps in their van. Just for the heck of it, we decided to follow the Tarleks to church. You can tell Herb is just randomly cruising around the neighborhood. Oh, and have a look at the trees to (laughs) either side of the street as the van is giving chase. We're very sure Cincinnati does not have any palm trees. I don't think so. No. Herb's neighborhood seems to have a lot of palm trees. (laughs) Then Herb started driving faster. Herb realized he was being followed. We don't exactly know where they are, but somewhere in Toluca Lake or North Hollywood, they are racing through the neighborhood. This went on for about 20 minutes. We cut to Herb's Cordoba pulling up alongside the curb in front of church. Yeah. Finally, the Tarleks arrived at their church. Herb is the only car parked along the street. He hustles the crew up the front sidewalk. Herb yanks on the front door handle and it won't open. What's wrong, Herb? Herb jiggles the handle a few times and looks back nervously at the cameras. Well, the the door seems to be locked. Phil asks if Herb's (laughs) sure this is his church. Herb nervously says they must have missed the service. He decides to try to salvage the trip. Well, let's go visit Grandma, huh? Grandma's dead! Bunny is not helping the cover story. Leave it to kids. They're just brutally honest. The gang heads back down the sidewalk. Herb says they'll have a good old-fashioned barbecue instead. As they're leaving, Lucille realizes why a church would be closed on a Sunday morning. It's a synagogue. What? Synagogue. Could have been there Saturday morning for that one. Shalom. Yeah. So just for authenticity, this really is a synagogue. Although we don't see any symbols or a name on the exterior of the building, this scene was shot outside Temple Beth Emmett of Burbank, located at 600 North Buena Vista Street. The synagogue sits due east of where they shot at the house, and now they're about five miles from the Radford Studios. Would Herb have run into a synagogue as easily in Cincinnati? Sure, Cincinnati is home to more than 20 different synagogues. If you're ever in town, don't miss the historic Isaac M. Wise Temple located downtown. It was established in 1865. 
we come back to the Tarlick's backyard. Herb is standing by a round domed charcoal grill. Billows of black smoke are pouring out of it. <laughs> Herb's trying to fan them away as he brags about the backyard. We enjoy our, our backyard very much. Uh, the smoke is so thick we sometimes <laughs> lose sight of Herb. And he keeps babbling right <laughs> through the smoke. He, he's making no sense, talking about how easy it is to get to the backyard. You know, anytime we want to, we just go right out that back door right there, you know. He's babbling, repeating himself, and painfully nervous. The grill continues to smoke to a hilarious degree. You know, we just come out that back door right there, and presto, we're outside. We we enjoy it. We really like it. So little Herb is standing at the other end of the picnic table. Herb is all nervous energy. He goes over, grabs a football off the picnic table, and runs over to little Herb. Herb tries to get him to put down his doll. The <laughs> doll. <laughs> Herb has to finally take it from him. He backs up a few steps. He's addressing the camera and just still babbling. All right, now this is the old uh, combination of uh, Bradshaw to Swan. Herb, of course, can't stop talking. Except that uh, Swan's color, of course. I mean, black. Phil catches it immediately. Herb, <laughs> did you say colored? Herb stammers and says he didn't mean it. When Herb mentions Bradshaw to Swan, he's talking about Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. Terry Bradshaw, yes, back when he played instead of just talked about football, and wide receiver Lynn Swan. Bradshaw's go-to long bomb target on the field was the 88 on Swan's jersey. Here's Bradshaw, bothered from behind. Lynn Swan is open. Got it. Steeler touchdown. Mark Washington with it. The Cowboys had the safety flipped on, 64-yard touchdown pass from Bradshaw to Lynn Swan. The two had just led the Steelers to a record fourth Super Bowl win in February of 1980. Herb tosses the ball to Little Herb. Little Herb doesn't move a muscle, <laughs> lets it hit him and fall to the ground. And that kid is great, by the way. He just stands there. Herb is still trying to shake off the colored remark. What about prejudice, Herb? Herb claims he's not prejudiced and goes so far as to drag Venus into it. There's this guy, a black guy, a Venus flytrap's his name. He works at the radio station. I mean, he and I are just like that. I mean, we, you know, we even attended one of those uh, NAACP meetings once. Together. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um... Herb, if you're going to lie, at least get the name right. N A double C. Yeah, yeah. He was going for N double A C P. The NAACP is one of the oldest and largest civil rights organizations in the United States. The name, though, is a conundrum. Herb just got called out for using the term colored. Colored is a part of the NAACP's name. In recent years, they go almost exclusively by the initials, but the letters stand for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. The name is a product of its time. The founding of the organization was spurred by a particularly vicious race riot in President Lincoln's hometown of Springfield, Illinois, in 1908. On February 12th of 1909, the 100th anniversary of Lincoln's birth, the original founders of the NAACP met. Although it would take a few months to get the paperwork done, that date, February 12th, is cited as the founding of the organization. Phil is not buying Herb's story. Herb decides he'd better back off the lie just a little bit. I think. Might have been some other kind of meeting. Uh... <laughs> Herb 
Herb says he remembers there were a lot of black people there. You know, like an NBA game. Oh, Herb. <laughs> just, just getting there. Bunny seems to be unfazed by the camera crew. We cut to a close-up of some nasty-looking water. This is our pool. You have to blow it up. Lucille puts her hands on Bunny's shoulders and tells her it's time for lunch. She gives a look into the camera. Uh, do you ever turn that camera off? No? Oh, isn't that interesting? Uh-huh. Lucille grabs Bunny by the hand and leads her away from the camera crew. We can hear Lucille saying, Did you tell them anything? Yeah. <laughs> the camera pans back down to give us one last shot of the green and disgusting water in the Tarlick's pool. You have to blow it up. While we're in the Tarlick home, we wanted to take a moment to recognize the Tarlick children. Bunny is being played by Stacy Heather Tolkien. Stacy was born in February of 1973 in Los Angeles. She'd made her big screen debut the year before in Concord Airport 79. Stacy has a total of seven acting credits. She will appear one more time on WKRP in season four. Stacy's additional credits are as a voiceover performer in Charlie Brown Shorts. Stacy's last performing assignment was in 1986. She seems to have retired from acting at the age of 13. Little Herb, or Herb III, is being played by N.P. Shock. N.P. has two performer credits. He appeared as a baby on the daytime soap The Young and the Restless in 1973, then here on WKRP in 1980. That was it for N.P.'s career. We also could not find what N.P. stands for. My guess? Neil Patrick. We next catch up with the Tarlick family that night after dinner. The family's sitting in low light on the couch, bathed in the blue glow of the boob tube. The audio coming from the TV sounds like Hugh Wilson taking a shot at the state of American TV. Fat? You call me fat? No, you're not fat. Herb has what looks to be a glass of milk. Bunny is resting her head in her hands. Lucille has her arms crossed in front of her, and little Herb is clutching his doll. Herb is wearing a white sweater vest over a plaid shirt with light blue dress slacks. We almost pulled the alarm. Phil and Elaine are relentless. Phil asks Lucille if her family watches a lot of television. It's all of time. <laughs> Bunny is so helpful. Elaine asks if Lucille keeps an eye on the content. What kinds of things does she allow the kids to watch? Well, we only allow them to watch wholesome family entertainment. When pressed for an example, Lucille hesitates and then says, The Little House on the Prairie. Lucille doesn't seem to know exactly what she's talking about, but she continues to explain anyway. Which brings us to... The line of the episode. It's about blind children out west, and every week they have a fire... Or someone gets an incurable disease. We enjoy it very much. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Hugh Wilson had to have written that line. Little House over on NBC was a huge pain in Hugh's butt throughout the first two seasons. Monday nights at 8 were owned by the house. Every week, Little House would win the time slot. During the second season, they not only won the night, they'd usually wind up in the top ten for the week. Hugh once made the comment that if WKRP seemed to be catching up to Little House in the ratings, Little House would just blind another kid. Oh, that's awful. (laughs) 
We transition from the living room to Herb's car. The next morning, Herb took us to work with him. We're looking at Herb from the passenger seat of the Cordoba. Phil asks Herb about who runs the station. Herb gives a personnel rundown using cool radio station abbreviations. There's uh, Arthur Carlson. He's the GM. Andy Travis, he's the PD, and me, I'm the S&M. Say what now? SM, sales manager. That's radio jargon. <laughs> he's the S&M. <laughs> Elaine says it sounds like Herb practically runs the station. Herb pauses, contemplating the thought with a slight smile. We can hear a radio news announcer. It's not Les or Bailey, so we don't know if Herb is listening to WKRP. Finally, President-elect Ronald Reagan and his wife Nancy spent the day at the Reagan Ranch. This episode was shot in mid-November, just days after the 1980 presidential election. We also have a background catch. As Herb is driving, we can see businesses passing by in the background. The sign for Magnolia Auto Works is very visible. Magnolia Auto Works is a body shop. It was a mainstay at 4220 Magnolia Boulevard in Toluca Lake for dozens of years. It only recently closed permanently due to the pandemic. So would Herb really be driving around and not listening to WKRP? Actually, yes, it's even pretty common. Most radio station salespeople are tasked with monitoring the airwaves of the competition. They're out in their cars all day anyway. Most SM sales manager will actually assign station monitoring salespeople are tasked with listening to other stations and taking notes when they hear new advertisers a business heard advertising on the competition is a great prospect we head into the station lobby only we're in the hallway outside the main doors to wkrp we've never been there before herb holds the door for the camera crew now this is it this is where i work uh, herb tarlick works here the phlegm building in downtown cincinnati it sounds a lot like she said phlegm and not phlegm. We've always thought the name of the building is either a sound-alike joke for phlegm or it's a nod to part of the term meaning shady, flim-flam. Elaine seems to be going for the phlegm joke. As Herb enters the lobby, we see the station from an entirely new perspective. Jennifer isn't at her desk. Of course, Herb has to say a few words about the lovely Miss Marlowe. I don't know what your receptionist looks like back in Hollywood, but I want to tell you... Oh, here she is. Jennifer comes walking into the lobby from the main hallway door. She's wearing a slinky, form-fitting knit dress with beige heels. The camera swings to center her in the shot. She's opening the file drawer when we hear the cameraman. You're the receptionist? Jennifer says that's right, and she wiggles her way to her desk. She slowly smooths her dress down as she sits, running her hands down her body. The camera is transfixed. Herb is still talking. He's moved over to Art's door. The camera is only looking at Jennifer. We hear Art off screen. It sounds like he's out of his office and he's talking excitedly with Herb. The camera couldn't care less. It's still locked on Jennifer as she takes something out of her top desk drawer. She coquettishly smiles at the camera and she tilts her head to one side. We hear Art getting closer. The camera only has eyes for Jennifer, who by now is really flirting. 
Herb realizes what's happening, and he has Art lean down into the shot. Uh, yeah. Yes, uh, I manage the station. Welcome to WKRP AM Radio. <laughs> well, the camera isn't going anywhere. It remains fixed on Jennifer. Herb leans into the shot from right of frame. Art leans in from the left. Jennifer is still firmly centered, flashing a megawatt smile. Art and Herb are babbling. Herb is trying to get the camera crew to move. <laughs> well, look, I tell you what, you guys come on. I'll show you the rest of the station, huh? Herb <laughs> heads toward the hallway door. Come on. The camera isn't going anywhere. Art and Jennifer are still in the shot. Jennifer is fully aware of what's happening. She knows she's the only one who can get the transfixed cameraman's attention. She slowly says, Go with him. Go. We can practically feel the disappointment as the camera comes around the desk. Welcome. <laughs> Now, there's a lot of incidental music happening throughout this episode, as is the case in a real radio station. Almost anywhere you go in the building, you're going to hear what's on the air. In the background to these lobby scenes, we could hear Peg by Steely Dan. Peg comes from Steely Dan's 1977 Asia album and features Michael McDonald on backing vocals. Peg was released as a single in November of 1977 and peaked at number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100 in early 78. Who is Peg? Well, there's been a lot of speculation over the years. According to Donald Fagan, it's no mystery. He said in a 2020 interview, we wanted a dotted half note for that spot and Peg was short enough to fit with the music. Seven top studio guitarists took a shot at the solo. Jay Graydon's version became The Keeper. Herb taking the camera crew through a door. It's the door behind the DJ's desk, leaving the bullpen. They cross into the hallway outside the studio. Herb starts to open the studio door. This is uh, the hallway. Clean uh, all these guys here. Uh, this is the DJ booth. It's a poster palooza. Because of the single camera shoot, we've got more walls. The hallway outside the booth is lined with posters. There are a few that we've seen, but several we haven't. That huge one in the center of the shot is the cover to Queen's 1980 smash hit album, The Game. It was their eighth studio album, released in June of 1980. <laughs> Above the Queen poster, we see something we don't see very often on WKRP. It's an on-air light, and it's lit. Normally, you'd find an on-air light directly over the booth door or just to the side of the door at eye level. As with most lighted on-air lights, nobody cares. The on-air light gets ignored <laughs> constantly in most stations. Traffic and office people will walk right into the studio, completely ignoring the light. 
To prove the point, Herb walks in on Johnny while he is on the air. As Herb and the crew enter, we hear Johnny doing a song intro. Come on in now. Hi, John. Ron Nagel, the album Bad Rice. Now hold on. We know the Bad Rice album. Johnny's playing 61 Clay from Ron Nagel, one half of the Do-Rocks. We first heard 61 Clay on Johnny's headphones during Most Improved Station. Howard Hessman just has to be friends with Ron Nagel. Johnny is not thrilled about being interrupted. Real families, national television, right? Right, This is radio in Cincinnati being interrupted. Johnny stands up and he gets a lower third CG label, identifying him as Dr. Johnny Fever. Disc Jockey. Now, this is the morning disc jockey, Dr. Johnny Fever, a very popular radio personality in Cincinnati. Johnny puts his arm around Herb's neck and he faces the camera. <laughs> One of the most imaginative fetishists I have ever met. Johnny tweaks Herb's chin. Of course, Johnny's not going to do this straight. <laughs> Herb laughs nervously. Johnny just keeps rolling with the fetish joke. He starts to quiz Herb about his high heels. Johnny even says he has a lady friend who'd like to borrow some of Herb's lingerie. Herb cannot get out of the studio fast enough. He closes the door right in Johnny's face. Johnny can't stop. He's got more shtick. He pushes the door open. He, he really likes it. Uh, yeah, thanks. Did, did, you, did the horses pay off? <laughs> As Herb slams the studio door, we see a poster for the Air Supply album, Lost in Love. Air Supply was an Australian soft rock group known for airy arrangements and tight harmonies. This was their fifth studio album, but only the first to get any notice outside of Australia. The success of this album is attributed to their move to Arista Records and the influence of producer Clive Davis. This album got a lot of notice. It will sell more than 3 million copies and peak at number 22 on the Billboard album chart. It also yields three top five singles, including the title track and the monster smash, All Out of Love. All Out of Love will reach number two on the Hot 100. All Out of Love has a weird claim to fame. Vocalist Russell Hitchcock holds the final note for just over 16 seconds. That was a record for a male pop singer at the time. Herb pauses outside the studio door. Johnny has more shtick. He pushes the door open again. Hey, really? Uh, John, I won't need those drugs, okay, Herb. It's, it's really Y'all okay. come on down. Y'all come on down. <laughs> That's a good buddy right there. Oh. Herb's trying to shut Johnny up and move the camera crew down the hall. Uh, voiceover tells us most people around the station seem to like Herb. So does Johnny just sit around and think He's of just, things to I think he was just riff, he was just riffing off the top of his head. He's just going for it. The next shot shows Andy at the bullpen door and a CG with his name and title as program director under his picture. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's quite a guy. He's a, quite a guy. I, I could tell you some stories. The voiceover asks Andy to tell us a story. Andy wasn't ready for that one. He's speechless. 
Elaine's voice tells Andy Herb has informed them that he often picks the records and <laughs> programs the music at WKRP. Wouldn't that be your job? Andy tries to be diplomatic about the whole thing, but you can tell he's a little upset. He stays with the cover story. Well, you know, I, I, I go to Herb uh, for advice, as, as, as we all do. He's just a good man to talk to. I would say that Herb Tarlick is a um, hard worker, loyal husband, and all-around fine person. And he turns and quickly leaves. The voiceover tells the listeners to remember these last words spoken by Andy Travis. It's the quote about Herb being a hard worker, loyal husband, and all-around fine person. Something interesting is about to happen. We've got more incidental music. Playing behind Andy was more Steely Dan, also from the Asia album. This is the Opus Deacon Blues. The song was largely written at Donald Fagan's house in Malibu. It's an ode to the epic loser. Fagan said he felt if a college football team could have such a grandiose name as the Crimson Tide, complete losers should also be entitled to a grandiose name. They got a name for the winners in the world. name was inspired by football player Deacon Jones. Fagan said they liked the sound of the name, and it had two syllables like crimson. Deacon Blues went to number 19 on the Hot 100 in June of 1978. Next up is Venus. A CG lists his name and his title as disc jockey. The female announcer tells Venus Herb told them that he and Venus attend NAACP meetings together. <laughs> Elaine asks if that's true. Venus is caught off guard. You can see him searching for a way to answer. There's a long pause and then... Yeah! We hang out down there all the time. The NAACP. <laughs> Venus is asked to describe Herb. Venus responds as if he has practiced this answer many times. Herb is a hard worker, a loyal husband... And a all-around fine person. I'm curious where down there is that they're hanging out all the time. <laughs> is there a building somewhere in downtown? So there's a transition to Bailey sitting behind her desk in the bullpen. Her name appears under her picture with the title News Staff. Bailey tries her best to describe Herb to the camera. Um, Herb Tarlick is a uh, loyal worker. No, he's a loyal husband. Um, he's a loyal husband. Uh... It's like the lie is getting stuck in her throat. Either that or she just can't remember her lines. Next up is Les. His CG identifies him as news director. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Even Les's bandage is different in this one. Instead of having a bandage on his body, Les has bandaged the left temple piece of his glasses at the hinge. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nessman. 
Les is proudly showing off his NewsHawk <laughs> Awards to the camera. I won this one in 1975 when I broke the big soybean shortage story. He physically pushes the camera so that it points down at his Silver Sow Award. Of course. Yeah. The camera bobs back up as Phil asks Les what Herb Tarlick is like. Les responds with a quick and stoic... Hard worker, loyal husband, all-around fine person. He got his lines out of the way. Now, back to his favorite topic, himself. Now this... This is the coveted Silver Sow Award. Les grabs the camera again and points it down to his Silver Sow Award. I'm sure your viewers would love to touch it. (laughs) We'd love to touch it. Well, he sits there and strokes it sometimes. Ooh, yes. Yeah, we've seen that. We got another shot of Johnny delivering the line that everybody has obviously been told to say. Hard worker, loyal husband, fine person. More incidental music. That was ACDC rocking out behind Johnny with their hit, That Will Not Die, You Shook Me All Night Long. It's from their 1980 album, Back in Black. This is the first single from new lead vocalist Brian Johnson. Amazingly, it only peaked at number 35 on the Billboard Hot 100 in the fall of 1980. From then on, sports arenas and wedding receptions would never be complete without at least one spin of Shook. And since it is one of the most overplayed songs in history, I think we're good without a clip, right? Bailey tries again, but she just can't get it right. The royal all-round Next, we see a shot of the big guy, his name and title, on the screen under his picture. Art is asked to describe Herb Tarlick. He holds out his hand, palm down, indicating the height of something. Oh, that's all. <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> the dad joke, again. <laughs> I was just, just kidding. You can cut that out if you like. Dad, <laughs> that sucker right on out of there. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Herb Tarlick is a hard worker, loyal husband, uh, all-around fine person. Now we see Jennifer spritzing the plants. Hard worker, loyal husband, and all-around fine person. And yes, you did hear Jackson Brown behind Jennifer. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But now, Bailey, again. All-around fine person. There! I did it! <laughs> And she finally got it. We cut back to the Real Family studio where host Phil is talking to the studio audience. Well, you don't have to be Mike Wallace to know what, audience. I mean, what are these people doing? They're lying! They're what? They're lying! And even reference Mike Wallace, who P.J. Tarakfi hates, Phil says it's pretty obvious Herb's co-workers are covering for him. Elaine agrees. That's right, Phil. And when this happens, we start digging for the real facts. Right after this. Right We transition to a supermarket. Lucille is pushing a cart in the frozen food section. We pick up our story of the Tarlicks the next day when we went shopping with Lucille. It was time to start digging a little. Lucille explains about shopping. I pick up the food here in these aisles, and then I pay for it over there. She is asked if she thinks the prices are high. Yes, they are. Then the voiceover asks... Say, Lucille, would you say Herb was a loyal husband? Lucille tells them yes, and then asks, why is he asking? Trying to catch her off guard there, I think. I think. The voiceover says there are some very attractive women at the office where he works, and Lucille just laughs. I think Jennifer had a crush on Herb at one time, but that's all over with now. The announcers asked Lucille if it may not have been the other way around, Herb having a crush on Jennifer. Uh When asked if that's not just a little hard to believe, Lucille says maybe, but that's the way it happened. Lucille's head is firmly planted in the sand. She's in uh, in denial, yes, that's for sure. Denial. I think my hand is frozen to this box of ice cream. That must be painful. Yes, it is. 
<laughs> now it's Jennifer's turn to be diplomatic. Uh, Lucille said at one time you had a crush on Herb. Why, yes. We're all pretty crazy about Herb. But that was a long time ago. We can't believe Jennifer is even hinting at this. Phil asks if anything happened. No, trust me. Elaine asks Jennifer what she saw in Herb. It was his wardrobe, and he has an artificial leg. Hey, and if you're going to lie, might as well have some fun. (laughs) She's amping it up a little bit. (laughs) So we cut to Johnny in the studio drinking from his mug. Phil asks Johnny what the real story is on Herb and their receptionist. Well, uh, in the first place, Herb's name isn't Tarlick, it's Nietzsche. He's directly related to the famous nihilist philosopher. See, he came to America to prove uh, through the use of polyester that God is dead. And I think he succeeded admirably, don't you? Nietzsche? Yeah, Herbert R. Nietzsche Jr. Hey, there's more. Uh, How much tape you got in that thing? I can go on and on, you know? Wow, Johnny's segment was loaded with stuff. The song playing behind him is from Gary Myrick. Myrick is the singer and guitar player who replaced Stevie Ray Vaughan in the Texas band Cracker Jack after Vaughan had gone solo. What we're hearing is She Talks in Stereo, the title track from Myrick's 1980 debut album. Johnny also mentioned influential German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who created the concept of the Ubermensch. Nietzsche never married and, as far as we can tell, never had a son, but what a great story. We cut to Art, who's sitting at his desk. Herb hasn't got time for that sort of thing. He works too hard. Next, we see Bunny and Herb the Third swinging in their backyard. Elaine asks if their daddy is a hard worker. Yeah. How do you know? Sometimes he works so hard he comes home for lunch and sleeps all day. Kids say the darndest things. Now we're in the bullpen, where Andy's leafing through some files in the bottom drawer of a filing cabinet. He sleeps all day. That's right. No, that's impossible. And see, Herb's out making sales calls. Yeah, he's out making sales calls. They asked Andy who some of Herb's biggest clients are. Well, there's Red Wigglers, the uh, Cadillac of Worms. They sell live bait. And then there's uh, Heinrich Mueller's uh, World of Oriental Exports. Uh, also, Herb comes up with some very fine promotional ideas. And he realizes Herb may not be making as many calls as he claims. Do you think he just now realized this? Yeah, Surely it's he just knew. dawning on him. We move to the studio where Phil and Elaine are questioning Bailey about some of Herb's promotional ideas. He did the Dancing Ducks promotion. She goes on to explain. Well, it was sort of a a tie-in with Hunter's department store. Um, Herb put some ducks in the window. (laughs) It was a real cute idea. And yes, you're hearing That Girl Could Sing from Jackson Brown behind Bailey. This is also what we were hearing in Jennifer's scene. Interesting note about this one. When we heard that girl could sing behind Jennifer, it was actually in the network airing. This one wasn't. Originally behind Bailey's talk piece, you'd have heard She's So Cold by the Rolling Stones. I'm so Scott Factory couldn't clear the stones, but for some reason, they were allowed to use a little more JB. That Girl Could Sing is from Jackson's 1980 album, Holdout. It peaked at number 22 and spent 13 weeks on the Hot 100 starting in September of 1980. That means it was on the charts when this episode aired. She wasn't much good at around, but that girl could sing. She could sing. Bill and Link 
catch Venus having lunch in the bullpen. He continues to tell the duck story. And uh, the ducks, well, they would do a little dance. A what? They, they would dance. Apparently, Herb talked the ducks to dance, I guess. I don't know any more about that. This is our last piece of incidental music, and this one is a Shout Factory misfire. The network airing featured once in a lifetime from the talking heads playing behind Venus. Instead, we seem to have gotten a low-budget Herbie Hancock soundalike. We transition to the office of Vargas and Swiller. And wow, is that a name or what? Vargas is head of the Cincinnati Office of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Vargas Enswiller is being played by Jim Hudson. There's not a lot of personal info available on Jim. This part on WKRP appears to be his first ever acting credit. Jim goes on to rack up 36 credits on his IMDb profile, mostly on TV series. He does pick up the occasional TV movie and even a video game voiceover. Jim's last listed acting credit was in 2016. Mr. Enswiller is sitting behind his desk as he relays the whole duck story to Elaine and Phil. He tells them that Herb Tarlick placed some ducks in the window of a department store and the ducks would dance at noon. 1, 2, and 3 p.m. Elaine asked him if Mr. Tarlick had trained the ducks. No. The ducks danced on a little stage made of aluminum foil. We discovered that under that, Mr. Tarlick had placed a hot plate. He would turn it up, and the ducks would dance, and he'd turn it off, and the ducks would go on about their business. And <laughs> Swiller went on to bring up the turkey incident two Thanksgivings ago. And yes, this is horrible, but it's also funny. I find it funny. I don't think it's, it's funny. I know little hurt ducks are their getting their duck feet. feet hurt, but okay. Ugh. But even worse, this is real. We all know the turkey drop was based on a true story. Unfortunately, so is the duck story. Remember Jerry Bloom from WQXI, Quixie in Dixie? He was the Quixie station manager and one of the blueprints for Art Carlson. This is another Jerry Bloom story. The duck promotion really happened in Atlanta almost exactly the way it's being described here. Jerry called them the Quixie Quackers, and the whole ugly affair was shut down by the SPCA. Back in Art's office, we see Carlson and Herb sitting side by side in the hot seat. We um, we didn't mean to kill those turkeys. It was an accident. We thought turkeys could fly. Man, they're never going to get out from under that, are they? They were then questioned about the ducks. Should we call a lawyer? <laughs> Far worse, if you ask me. I think they need a lawyer on speed dial. they got to put in a call to Elgar Nice. You don't say anything, you don't do anything. Now we find ourselves around the dinner table with Herb, Lucille, and the kids. Bunny is looking at the camera and talking as Herb the third is sobbing in the background. And Mamie took away all her dirt stalls and told me to keep my mask and break my arm. Lucille is smiling, and she's telling Bunny that's Daddy's way of playing. She tells the kids to go watch anything they want on TV. Elaine asks Herb and Lucille about their sex life. Well, that's far enough. Yeah, that's that's getting too personal. Herb puts his napkin on the table, saying he'd like to stop. This isn't fun anymore. It's not what I thought it'd be. Lucille is left at the table all alone. The camera closes in on her as Phil says, I thought you wanted to be on television. 
We have a contract. Lucille just smiles at the camera, saying nothing. Man, Edie McClurg is so good in this. As she cleans off the table, she tells the crew Herb does not want to talk to them. He's gone to bed. Lucille goes to the sink and begins rinsing the dishes. Phil and Elaine won't stop. They continue to pelt her with very personal questions. They ask her what 11 years of marriage means, and has their marriage turned out the way she dreamed it would? No. No, it hasn't. Is yours? Yeah, you ask him, Lucille. Is yours? I love how she's starting. There's some anger now. There's yeah. some. There's a little backbeat of anger in Lucille's delivery now. Elaine asks if Lucille has ever thought of divorce. Well, we know she has, but Lucille says no. I know that my Herb loves me. Elaine asks her why she loves Herb. He's got a great body. Except for the missing leg. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> love that, love that callback. <laughs> So Phil sends the camera into the bedroom where Herb is covered up to his neck. I think he's going to have a nervous breakdown. He is. This is horrible. Herb, weren't you arrested once? Some kind of moral thing? Now, hold on. Could this be from Herb's letter to Penthouse? A bunch of teenage girls on roller skates attacked me one day and had their way with me. (laughs) It's a complete lie. I don't even know the names of those girls. Herb is not coming out from under those covers. Lucille comes into the bedroom and she sits next to Herb, who is still under the covers. (laughs) Lucille, does Herb regress like this often? Lucille tells them not like this. Herb tells them he doesn't think it's fair for them to make it sound like he's hiding things. You're hiding now? Bunny comes into the bedroom. Are you going nuts? Not now, sweetheart. Phil tells Herb they're just trying to get to the truth. Herb throws off the covers and he's mad. Truth. You mean what's real? That's right. I'll tell you what's real. My life is boring. But you can't show that because this is a TV show. You gotta dig up a lot of dirt so you can get the ratings so you don't get canceled. Now that's real. Obviously, we've hit some kind of... You know, I may have a couple of problems here. You know, I don't make a lot of money. My, 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 my son likes dolls. You know, I wish he didn't, but he does. My undershorts are torn. I like to drink beer. And sure, I mistreated a couple of ducks. But Phil, deep down inside, I like ducks. I'm all for them. As Herb is giving this speech, he is forcing the camera backward and out of the house. Now, this is real. No, this is not real. Nothing on the tube is real. Not even in, not even in the news. Now, now get out of here. Take, t- just get out of here and stay out of my home. They head to the front door, and he pushes them right out onto the front step. Once outside, Herb slams the door on him. Phil... He laughs. <laughs> well, Elaine, that's one of the most interesting real families we've ever had. Bill, I'd have to say that as far as ripping... Elaine doesn't get to finish. She's interrupted when the front door opens and Herb the Third comes outside and addresses the camera. My father is a hard worker, loyal husband, and all-around fine person. The door opens further and Herb comes out with Herb the Third's doll. He looks at the camera, <laughs> then hands the doll to Herb the Third. The two of them go back into the house, Herb slamming the door for a second time. We come back for our capper scene in the real family studio where Phil and Elaine are on stage. There's still a picture of Herb on the large screen. Well, there you have it, another week of real family. And what about the Tarleks, Phil? Is Herb really still mad at us? <laughs> well, if he was, he isn't anymore. Not after we offered to fly him and the entire family to Hollywood, all expenses paid. Ladies and gentlemen, Here they are. Herb, Lucille, Bunny, and little Herb join Phil and Elaine on stage. Phil puts his arm around Herb, calling him pal, 
asking if he's still mad. Well, Herb tells him no. Of course not. And I'll tell you why. Because almost anybody will do almost anything to get their picture on television. Right, Herbie? This is one of Tarakvi's central themes. Regular people will do horribly stupid things to get on TV. Herb is smiling and he agrees with Phil. Phil goes a bit further. I'll bet if you were willing to shoot yourself in the foot with a rifle, we could get you on That's Incredible. Really? How would I go about (laughs) You see what I mean, (laughs) A nice shot at actual reality series. That's incredible. That's it for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Watch us next week on Real Families when we go to New York City. He's a Cuban band leader, and she says she's an average red-headed housewife. But is she really? We'll find out next week on Real Real Families. This is a reference to Lucille Ball and Ricky Ricardo, one of the most famous television families ever. And remember, friends, if it can't stand close scrutiny, then it's no good. Herb and his family stand on the stage with Phil and Elaine, waving to the crowd as they applaud. Tarakvi and company are making every second count. We even get the joke accommodations voiceover. While in Hollywood, guests of real family stay at the Casa de Vida Motorport, where dining in the rumba room is an experience. For everyone at Real Families, this is Seth Kugliak speaking. Good night. And it's another callback. Casa de Vida Motor Court must be a go-to for one of the writers. It was the Casa de Vida Motor Court only in Cincinnati, where Les and Bailey attended the press conference with Ivan. And that's going to do it for Real Families. I Really, I love that one. Just thought that was a blast. So, Donna, what is up for next week? Well, I'm looking forward to next week. We'll be talking about the baby. Mr. Carlson's wife, Carmen, goes into labor, and Carlson is terrified at being with her in the delivery room. The radio staff goes to the hospital to support him. And it's a good one. I, I liked this one. It yeah, made that's up a fun for, one. It made up for this last one. For you one. not liking this one. Yeah. yeah. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you want to watch along with us, check our show notes. Find us on social media. You can follow our pace, our Facebook page. There you go. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRPCast. And for more WKRP fun, you got to do this. Become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash WKRPCast. You get behind-the-scenes fun, full interviews, and more. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPCast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!